Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Rut from The Times and The Sunday Times. We're back again, crashing, bashing and ash splashing into the new week. And today, I'm joined by a suntanned but slightly underweather man <laughs> who we haven't heard from for a while, Alex Lowe. Welcome back. Hello. You right? Yeah, fine, thank you. My voice sounds like I was at the Chris Ashton centenary celebration party <laughs> last night, which uh, I was there in the afternoon to watch it, but I didn't stick around for the beers afterwards, despite how low my voice is sounding. And explain the suntan as well. Sun, well, it's just fading a bit. We went, we went to Guadeloupe Very nice. for an Easter holiday, which was brilliant, actually. It's, um, I really knew nothing about it other than it was a French Caribbean island, and it's way more French than, than Caribbean, yeah, like okay. the cuisine and obviously language. You take the Euro, okay, pre-Brexit, okay. you and I could have moved out there and just started work, living and working out there. Would have been well, I still can. I've got an Irish passport, you can. so there you go. Mine's, mine's <laughs> in the works. So yeah, we went to Guadeloupe. My wife enjoyed going to some of the locations for Death in Paradise which is filmed out there yeah, she, nice. she's a bit of a fan of that were there any bad guys you had to arrest there or anything no it was all very chilled out <laughs> honestly it's just like it's just amazing beaches and clear seas and the kids just diving in the waves so they love that and then I came back and I uh, went straight out to La Rochelle for La Rochelle Saracens and then it felt like a race against the world episode trying to get home from there because yes. the uh French travel system uh, has not proven to be all that helpful. I have real worries about it, actually, for the World Cup. Uh, back, way back in 07, they went on strike in the week of the final. Oh, on the day of wow. the final, people took hours to get up to the stadium. I'm a bit worried that, that this World Cup is going to be impacted quite badly by French air traffic control and, and rail workers going on strike. And I've experienced it twice in the last three weeks, yeah. and it's uh, frustrating. Well, that, least, last so. week you couldn't come on because it took you about three days to get back from La Rochelle. Yeah, yeah. Can you just quickly explain, you and Alex Spink from the Mirror, who's, who came on this a while back, had yeah. to hire a Fiat 500 to drive to yeah, Paris Yeah, like a little noddy car driving <laughs> up the... Yeah, flights were cancelled. Well, flights were delayed, then cancelled. The only way of getting out was to try and get to Paris, but there were no trains, and then there were no cars available, and eventually we managed to find a car that we could drop off in Paris, uh, and it, we sort of poodled along the motorway at sort of 50 miles an hour in this little noddy vehicle. But uh, yeah, it's kind of... When you look back on it, it's quite a fun adventure, but yeah. it wasn't that much fun at the time because Alex was trying to get on his family holiday to oh, yeah. Corsica. Oh. 
So we got there in the end, but yeah, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a wild adventure actually yeah. since I was last on the ruck. Uh, have you been watching what Race Across the World as well? By the way, yeah, I love uh, it, absolutely. I love it. Great well, slightly, this uh, this series isn't quite as good as the last two. Do I you think. not think? I suppose because it's been one country. In yeah, Canada I think if you can hire a car, it slightly defeats the yeah. purpose of it. Whereas the last one's crossing crossing borders and having yeah, to, yeah hitchhike and but um. I love the concept of it. It's so cool. And Canada is such an I'd amazing place. And, yeah, I would too. Would there be like a journo's version? We've Who's... actually, well, well at, at the end of the last series, although we didn't quite apply to go on it, my wife and I basically sketched out a plan that when the kids are old enough, yeah, okay. we're going to go and do a family one oh, across good, the States. And Where are you going to drop all your children? Well, we've got, yeah, well, they, they need to be old enough. So we'd either do parents v kids or yeah. we'd split off in teams yeah, for different yeah. legs and, and then meet up again in, you know... You got to pick your checkpoint, each checkpoint, and, yeah, and yeah. then have a, have thirty six hours there. And yeah, we, so we've sort of got a family well, race against the world plan. Yeah, no, that'd be so cool, wouldn't it? But no, no spoilers. But I, th- I think I'm one episode behind everyone else. But I'm not sure. But yeah, I think one of the father and uh, no, one of the daughter and father teams. No, I think they're going to struggle. But we'll see. <laughs> there's, there, yeah, there's a dynamic there. That yeah, isn't quite, yeah, isn't quite working. I remember on the last series, the one they went across <laughs> Central and South America. There was like a brother and a sister, and they just kept telling the cameras how much they hated each other. They were just like, "Yeah, we've just got a terrible relationship." Uh, it's good. It's good. Anyway, so my my trip home from La Rochelle felt a bit like an episode of Race Across the World. Well, there you go. Well, we're racing across the Premiership this week, and a bit of Women's Six Nations. We're also going to have Les Kiss on the ruck, the London Irish head coach who they didn't actually play a game on the weekend and it, to be honest, benefited not playing. Worked out all right. Yeah, it? everyone else lost below them. So we'll chat about him, uh, about their season and their playing Saracens on the weekend, trying to get into the top four. We'll have Jess Hayden to look ahead and look back on the Women's Six Nations and, as ever, we'll name our god or goddess of the week. I wonder who that's going to be. Mm. But first, let's delve deep into the Premiership uh, weekend's action there before we speak to Les Kiss. Right, so Alex, you managed to get to a game. You got to <laughs> yeah, No travel chaos. No once. travel chaos. Although you did try, you were texting me being like, where do I go oh, yeah. to get into Welcome <laughs> Road? <laughs> I forgot where the entrance was. But yeah, how was how was Exeter against Leicester? Should we start with the positives? Yeah, so... Ashton Sentry. Yeah, well, first of all, I thought going into it, I was I had a real sense of anticipation because Exeter have been woeful on the road in the Premiership, but they've just come off the back of two like monumental performances in, in Europe to get through to the Champions Cup semi-finals. And you're thinking, has this, has this kind of sparked the fire again in, in Chiefs? On the flip side, Leicester were coming in on, on, the, on the back of a big European defeat, but five Premiership wins on the bounce. You know, it was, it was going to be a compelling game, I felt, heading up there. But of course, you, there was this over... The overriding narrative was, was set in the week with Chris Ashton announcing his retirement when he was on 98 premiership tries and I felt until just before half time that the story of the game was going to be one of those days for Ashton where nothing nothing quite worked uh, Leicester's first try was a lovely break from Pollard and he, and he put a, a little kick over to the right that looked like it was going to skip up for Ashton but actually just dribbled straight past him over to Dan Kelly yeah. then Ashton set one up for Van Portfleet and then Stewart missed a pass to him when he was in the clear Pollard tried to pick him out with a cross kick they got charged down and he was in acres of space, and you just thought this is going to be one of those ma- yeah, yeah, matches yeah. for Ashton, where he is doing everything he can to get in all the right positions, and it's just not going to happen. And then Anthony Watson found him with a with a brilliant little grubber kick. He juggled the ball, finished it. That was that was try ninety nine. Mm. Um, then we had the red card incident. 
Yeah, we'll get onto that. Uh, where he thought he'd scored his 100th and didn't. At that point, he was, he'd was he started doing the classic Ashton thing. Of, he was roaming 10 or 15 metres ahead of play, mm. just waiting to, to pop up on someone's shoulder. And actually, he didn't even, in the end, he, those instincts weren't required. He, he was given a hat-trick on, on a plate, really, yeah. um, finishing in the corners. There's so much that stood out, really. He He's still playing with the, the same joy that he's always played with. Like, watching him, whether... He's one. He was one of those players, certainly in his Saracens days, where if he was on your team, you loved him, and if he wasn't, he was he was a villain. And certainly, there've been days where the Welford Road crowd have yeah. have really taken against. You know, he's punch ups with two Langies, <laughs> yanking uh, Alessandra off the field by his dreadlocks and mm. uh, by his hair, and you know he he's been the pantomime villain at times, but he's never been anything other than than a like thrilling player to to watch and to see Welford Road rise as one like it did for a player who yeah, 10 years ago was was their sort of was their enemy was 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 lovely and he you know he was applauding the, the fans back and and he had his family in the stand and then scored try one one and uh Felipe Contopomi was yeah. was at Welford Road there at pains to point out nothing to do with next season's coaching team <laughs> just invited by Julian Montoya but jumped into the crowd and did a did a Contopomi celebration yeah, uh it was nice. it was just a an occasion that you know Chris Ashton to get his hundred just before he retires with a hat trick in a, in a packed stadium, Welford Road. It, it, it felt it felt like a joyous place to be, and I have always had a lot of time for, for Ashton. I, I went down and saw him in Toulon when he was down there. I mean, think how many tries he could have scored. By the way, if he hadn't spent a year running off the shoulder of well, yeah, and, and another and, year maybe banned, and another year where? and another year banned. Yeah. He could be on like 130. Or yeah, something. yeah. Because that that chat in Toulon was. Because he turned down an England, so seventeen eighteen, and that's the only season where he hasn't scored a try. Yeah, in the Premiership. Yeah, he's played for half the teams in the Premiership. Yeah, he's yeah six, more yeah. than half. So on a on a few statty notes, which you, people who listen to that regularly will know that I like. That was only his fifth hat trick. He scored once, fifty two times, twice, fifteen times, three times, five times, and four times once. Mm. And assists. Alex Goode has assisted him 10 times of his 101. Chris Wiles and Wigglesworth, four each. And it's quite funny. So I was I was um, looking up his first match and just you have to have a concept of how long ago it was when you look through <laughs> the teams. So the Northampton side was Bruce Rahana, Ashton, Joe Ainsborough, James Downey, Sean Lamont, Carlos Spencer at 10, Lee Dixon at 9, Suwani so- Tongawea, Hartley, Ewan Murray, Ignacio Fernandez Lobe, Christian Day, who's now was on the rut the yeah. other week as the head of the RPA, Neil Best, Scott Gray, Roger Wilson. And the and the Wasp team oh. was like a great Wasp team with Lucy, Saki, Waldock, Flutie, Voice, Walder, Owen Redden, Tim Payne, Joe Ward, Vickery, Rich Burkett, Tom Palmer, Joe Worsley, Gosh. Haskell, John Hart. On the bench, Dan Leo, Rob <laughs> Weber, Serge Betson. And I was also looking and iPads hadn't been invented um, Instagram hadn't been invented Airbnb and Uber hadn't been invented the last time the first time he scored a Prem try so remarkable effort from Ashton and great that he got the reception he deserves just think how much more trouble he might have been if, yeah. if camera phones had been a thing yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, incredible in fact there was a BT thropper at the start that the one the one team he hasn't scored against in the Premiership is Saracens is that right yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. and you know as I was Writing, there's they're in the playoffs or mm, yes. virtually in the playoffs. There's there's still tries to be scored for Chris Ashton and yeah. a title to be there to be another title there to be won for him. And and what are the chances of him? He could end up up against Saracens. Yeah, absolutely. Break yeah. that duck. No, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? So we've done the positives. Let's get on to the negatives, which was by all reports 
ludicrous decision that was made by, we mentioned Lee Dixon, it was his brother, Carl Dixon, the most recently retired former player, Yeah. who, I wasn't watching the game live, but I've seen the clip back and I've seen the reaction, lots of the ex of the Chiefs players who weren't playing, going mad about it on Twitter, tw- sending out messages, games gone, all that sort of stuff. You were there, talk us through, what was your view of it? It was Ollie Woodburn denying a try yeah. for Ashton. Well, f- f- first of all, after the, the game, Ben Young, we spoke to Ben Young, who said that he'd had a chat with Chris Ashton in the week and asked him, what, what would he do if the TMO denied him his 100th oh, try? Yes. He said, I'd throw the ball at the referee. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then get sent off and never play again, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so he... Um, he avoided that. He actually went and shook Woodburn by the hand, as frustrated as he was to have been denied that hundredth at that point. So, it is couldn't be a more rugby conversation. This. So Chris Ashton is, is is aiming for the corner. He's tackled by Stuart Hogg. As he goes down, Ollie Woodburn slides in. He doesn't land on Ashton. He slides. He slides in on his knees in one movement to try and get his hand underneath the ball. And then a split second later, it sort of extends his legs out to try to help shove Ashton towards touch. And the decision was penalty try and a second yellow card for Ollie Woodburn for effectively falling on top of a man on the ground. Carl Dixon ex- explained it to Jack Yandel, who said, what on earth, what's he supposed to do? And Carl Dixon's explanation was, he has to leave him. You can't play the man on the floor in the way that o- Ollie Woodburn attempted to do. Now, the reaction around the game from the players and at the time from Rob Baxter was conf- like they were outraged really they were mm. they were confused certainly but they're like what what is you can't have a game where a player can dive in from distance and you just have to stand there and watch them score i think there's been so much conversation about this on um on social media and t- on the train in today and everywhere and i think it's a, one of those frame by frame decisions that you have to look at so there's a lot of people saying the tackle was complete. He was coming in off his feet, what not round the gate. I think that's incorrect. I think frame by frame, Woodburn starts to come in as the tackle is being executed. Mm. And he tries he tries to make a genuine attempt to get under the ball. And Rob Baxter, who was sitting right behind me at the time, was saying, Well, this is a, he repeated what he said in the week, which is, What is rugby doing? This is a guy who'd who'd had a yellow card for a deliberate knock-on, which is another contentious yeah, issue yeah. in the game. He's had a, this is another yellow card, which equals in rugby a red card, which is probably a conversation we'll come on to because I don't think I think this highlights that how rugby just doesn't need to follow football blindly. Mm, yeah, and maybe we've never really thought about it until now, but there's no need for having to. In football, the yellow cards are warning, and the second yellow is just sending off. In rugby, a yellow card carries a punishment. So why does a second yellow need to be and a red? Be why for can't two? Completely, completely contrasting things, things. Yeah. like a team penalty and then you do something so, outrageous um, but once he decided it was a penalty try it had to be a yellow card under uh, under the laws it's really um, for me symptomatic of where rugby is at the moment as, as I said Rob Baxter talked in the week about the two, he, he's always saying there are too many laws we keep introducing too many laws and changing them every and season and changing them and his view is that the game is set up to try and re- reduce the number of players on the field and he doesn't like that and this incident to me, like, what was surprising? I mean, you mentioned that Carl Dixon was the, the most recent retired player to, to to make it as a top referee. It was the sort of lack of empathy towards that situation. I don't believe that the law, which prevents a player from falling on a player on the ground, was written for this yeah. this situation. He's making a genuine attempt to help. He's a tackle. He's an assisting tackler to a player who's on his way down. To me, and I agreed with Austin Healy called it at the moment. Ben K disagreed with him. I felt it was a legitimate as a player, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. I don't I don't see how 
we could have a sport and we and it, we're getting it a little bit with the dangerous tackle conversation which is if you're in the wrong position the instinct is to try and make a tackle mm. and that can often you, you know you risk hitting someone dangerously the conversation is well if you don't what's the alternative it was you don't you don't make the tackle you don't attempt anything yeah, and let the player run that. past you yeah don't you know rugby has to it has to be empathetic enough to what to the dynamics of what happens on the field to realize that this isn't he wasn't being cynical here this was a genuine attempt as Nigel Owen said on a wet day you know you can have players diving for five meters out yeah what and no, fullback's just gonna stand there and watch him yeah yeah it's, it's just against know, every instinct and I was looking in the at game, the, yeah. the, the, the brilliant Sam Underhill tackle on Scott Williams for England against Wales in 2018 which was a, a, a legal tackle one of the great tackles he was a millisecond away mm. From it being under the the ruling on Sunday, a yellow card and a penalty try. That's not what we want in in yeah. the game. That was a brilliant tackle, one of the great Twickenham moments. And and Woodburn was doing what he had to do as a defender. And I think to, for it to be a penalty try and, and a yellow card was for for me was it might have been the letter of the law, but I don't believe the law was written for that situation. Yeah. But isn't that the whole conversation about this? Is that in some way, we need to get feel back into yeah. these decisions where we've got to a point now with referees where, rightly or wrongly, they are basically being given a checklist and they're going through it check by check and going, well, it satisfies that, it satisfies yeah. that, it satisfies that, and it satisfies that, therefore yellow, therefore red, which is exactly what Jakob Piper did for Freddie Stewart in Ireland as yeah. well. Yeah. But that was a decision that lacked empathy and feel too, and so's Dixon this weekend. So you just think, and it was something else that you, you mentioned before, the frame-by-frame frame thing, is that if we have to go frame-by-frame, frame, then it's not clear. Yeah. And surely you, it's something in you, whether you're a referee, a TMO, whatever, that just goes, does that look right? Does that feel right? Yeah. Or does that feel wrong or because look in, wrong? Because in, in every other element of a game of rugby, the referee is interpreting the situation and the laws as he goes. Yeah. In rugby union, that's the role of the referee. Mm. He's got his law book in his back pocket metaphorically which is that thick and he can't if he applies every single one in every moment you have no game yeah, yeah so yeah. he's he's interpreting the situation as to is that relevant is that not relevant and i felt but then when it comes to tries they're so they've got the they've got the tmo they've got the frame by frame everything seems to have to be absolute and i, I really felt for ollie woodburn and, and i hope that he, he'll have a disciplinary and, and i i hope that it doesn't impact Europe or yeah, yeah two yeah. yellows as a red. Even Rob Baxter wasn't wasn't quite sure what what that would mean. But rugby union is a sport that requires the officials to be empathetic with with mm. the dynamics of the game. Yeah. And there are some incidents where, where it probably does help to to have a checklist, particularly for for blows to the head. But the, the issue with the Freddie Stewart one was that he didn't apply the mitigation, which was the dynamics of the of mm. the of the moment, which he should have done. That was just a, an error. He could have gone through the checklist and then gone, right, what's the mitigation? Well, the mitigation is... He's not even trying to tackle it's him. Like, it's <laughs> a, yeah, so therefore there's nothing. He could have done that. That was a, just a mistake. And mistakes happen. I just feel that in the search for a perfect decisions all the time, the referee, the referee's understanding of a game is being diluted. And, and then you end up with decisions like that. And listen, it didn't, Changed the game because Exeter were being well beaten already, but the result of it was that they spent 50, 50 odd minutes with either thirteen or fourteen men on the field and collapsed under the weight of a record points deficit. And Rob Baxter's got to rebuild everything. They've got a big, a big semi final to come, and, and that that does end their playoff hunt. And they would have lost the game anyway, so it didn't change that. But 
it didn't change the game. It just it's highlighted another area in rugby where they're just not yeah. aren't dealing yeah, yeah. with it right. I don't the, think the last last point on this, and then we one we've made before, but I just with all these decisions, keep looking at the World Cup and thinking it's yeah. just going to be an absolute powder keg, especially on what we call the left-hand side of the draw, where you've got all the top five yeah. teams in the world, yeah. and at least two of them are going out early, three of them are going out early, yeah. and you think one of those games definitely is going to get decided by one of these really marginal rogue calls, and let's be honest, if it involves South Africa, there's going to be an international incident about it. That is going to blow up, and that is going to be a huge, huge I think problem every, I think France. we all have to get our heads around the fact that this World Cup is going to be massively influenced by... Totally. Concussion stand down periods, which are now yeah. twelve days, so mm. you're guaranteed to miss the next game in a World Cup, which is big. So We're just quickly on that, and, and and then discipline, you know, red cards. It was as well. remarkable, and there was a because we get these um, press releases overnight from Australia, and there was one the other day. Eddie yeah. Jones has picked his first squad um, for the Wallabies, and overnight, uh, um, I think it was Friday into Saturday, off Saturday into Sunday. They had to change, I think it was at five of the squad, because they'd all got knocked out. They changed seven, five seven. had concussions. Yeah. And you just think, imagine yeah. that happens in a World Cup, in a round yeah. of games, five different people get knocked out in different matches, and they should stand down, but then the, the next game, they're all missing. Like that's, yeah. It's going to be absolute yeah. we, panic we, and all sorts we, we of We all need this, to get, be prepared for the fact that, the, that this is going to happen. There are yeah. going to be players missing for multiple, potentially multiple games for accidental yeah. uh, rugby incident collisions, which are deemed red cards. And then you might as well send some of these guys home because yeah. then you could just substitute them out, in or out. But if you can't, you can't. They're if banned. they're, but if they're concussed, you could because it'd be an yeah. injury. Yeah. But if they're banned, you can't. But yeah, yeah that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> anyway, so we'll move on from that and just talk generally about. The running. I did a piece last week for the Times that was kind of assessing the, the runners and riders and it was all the way down to ninth. And now we're pretty much down to sixth only who can get into the top four. Exeter mathematically can get through, but they're not going to, are they? No. So it's now, Quinns have got a bit of an outside chance of they've just got to go, try and get 10 points and hope others lose. London Irish, we'll talk to Les Kiss in a minute, have had a great weekend having not played yeah. at all. And Northampton um, won... Uh, against Saracens there was another red card there that was a bit more clear cut with Duncan Taylor mm. hit someone in the face who do you think is going to make it I, I I reckon I think Irish are going to do it I think Irish will pip Northampton and the silly thing about this season with these bye weeks which we've had for a couple of years now is that Northampton and Irish didn't haven't played well neither have played since they played each other on March the 25th because they hadn't been in Europe Irish didn't play this weekend Northampton have got their final two games of the season before Irish play again because Northampton are playing Newcastle away on Friday and then Irish play their final two, Saracens, yeah. and then Exeter. So well, I think that's they'll know exactly what they need to do. A, they know what to do and B, in some seasons you go, oh, Irish got to play Saracens and Exeter and you think, well, they've got no chance because mm. you know, building up a head of steam, they're, they're yeah. on a roll. Saracens are are in a position now. They're guaranteed home semi finalists. They they will be. They rotated. They've had to rest some England players, who played five consecutive weekends, big games, two tests. That the Harlequins game at Tottenham, and then La Rochelle away, and then and then uh, Europe. They were rested last week, and there'll be more rest and rotation. Saracens also, for all their squad depth, they're they're on a second choice back row. Um, even when they're at their strongest, they're second choice back row now because of injuries. Yeah, Theo McFarland. Is out ACL. Andy Christie broken his arm. Billy, Billy Bowler. Yeah. So Ben. I mean Ben Earl is probably f- first, but yeah. he's, he's the only. You know Jackson Ray is great stalwart of the club, and, and Nick Ezekwe is no slouch. But you just think 
I, I agree with you about London Irish. I think the opportunity that is there for them to go and win that win two games to leapfrog Northampton, playing against a Saracens team who are managing themselves ahead of the semi-final. Mark McCall's already said that. Yeah. And Exeter Chiefs, who we even saw them on Sunday. Players were making their first premiership appearance for the club. Yeah. They're managing their resources ahead of the, the uh, European semi-final in, in Bordeaux against La Rochelle um, and the start of this transition. So I, I actually think it's a really good time for London Irish to be to be playing these two, provided they're not they're not too rusty after a month off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and Irish back in the in the playoffs for the first time in thirteen years. Will it be? Yeah, twenty ten. Um, yeah, be a great story for them and some of their young players who've been outstanding yeah. this season. Well, we'll get Les Kiss on the pod uh, in a second. Just briefly, we should touch upon Sale. I was there on Friday night at Bristol. It was a bit of a stodgy old thing for the first half and there was a point actually listening to the ref mic where Luke Pierce, after 16 minutes went, I'm getting tired of this, lads. <laughs> Resetting scrums. And I was a bit like, yeah, me too, mate. Like, this is so many kicks that were going out on the full and passes dropped and the weather was rubbish and it just felt like a bit of a rubbishy old game. And Bristol kind of folded a bit, as they have done quite a lot this season, um, with a, a mild period in the middle where they rallied um, in this season. But largely they've been a bit underwhelming with such a well-resourced team. Yeah. Um, but no, Sale were really professional. George Ford hit a dropped goal. He seems like the only 10 who does that these days. Um, and the Currys, double curry on the menu, as they said on the press release when they announced the team. They were really good. And you just, I know it's always a way, isn't it? We've watched the Six Nations and you feel like the Prem doesn't really prepare people for tests. But you think if England could get somewhere on the field two Currys at some point, that's just going to be cool, isn't it? What's it? What? I find really interesting is that we've there were a number of years where we couldn't work out why one was deemed to be better than, than yeah, the other. Yeah. But physically now they look they really they look like they've been given yeah. different programs yeah. to, in order to play different ways. Tom Curry's come back from the injury that kept him out of the Six Nations. Hamstring thing, yeah. It looks enormous. Yeah, big. Whereas and he was playing six. And he was playing six. And Curry, ben, um, ben was seven. Ben yeah. when he played in the Six Nations. We were sort of expecting him to try and play like Tom, but he's 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 leaner. He's yeah, much leaner. He's a bit more agile, maybe. I don't know whether he's quicker, but he's certainly. I think you'd back Tom to be more more physical now, Definitely, and yeah. that's that's a real interesting development. I wonder whether someone with England or at Sale have decided to 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 train them differently, almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's certainly for Ben hasn't helped him that Tom's the guy who's got forty six or so England caps, being mm. the Lions player done all he's done at the age of 24 when he's genetically identical because yeah. then you always go oh well we're just picking two of the same bloke when actually they play quite differently yeah. but there was one I mean it was a just a bad missed tackle from Max Heath in midfield but Tom threw a nice inside ball to Ben who then just battered through and raced away and scored a try and you just thought wow that was pretty impressive but yeah Sale were on a bit of a slump and but then they got into their sort of manhandling mode and you just think looking on paper and at the game itself, and you think they've got all the, the bits and pieces that you need at this point in the season. They've got yeah. a big physical pack. They've got massive blokes in there. They've got a really good pilot, 10, who helped win the league last season for Leicester and George Ford. And then even if he has a problem, they've still got Rob Dupree, who's been one of the best yeah. players of the season. Yeah. And they've got some top finishes as well. So good on them for getting into the top four, securing that. They were on the verge for a while. And I think they only need four points now to secure a home semi. Um, so there you go. There's them. And why don't we next 
talk more fulsomely about London Irish and talk to Les Kiss, who's been watching lots of games on the sofa this weekend, but preparing for two big ones coming up. So next on the pod, Les Kiss. So next on the right, we're joined by London Irish head coach, Les Kiss. Les, how are you? Must have been a bit of a, a weird weekend for you guys, watching everyone else playing and waiting. And it was actually quite a good one, wasn't it? With everyone below you losing, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's been a weird four weeks, really. After our uh, Saints match, we've had a big break. Um, unfortunately, we we weren't in play with uh, Europe. So we had to have a couple of weeks off. Then we had our bye weekend. So it's it's thrown a bit of a furphy for us. But uh, it's been a weird season like that. You know, it's been weekends here and there that changed a lot uh, after Christmas. So we've just had to adapt. But overall, overall, we just had to focus on training hard in the last few weeks uh, and get ready for the next game. Yeah. So what what do you actually do on a weekend like that, Les? When you're not playing, do you? go and walk the dog for a few hours and leave it leave the games alone or do you sit there and trawl through it all on bt how do you do it well first of all we, we uh the only way you make your weekends nice is if you have good work during the week so i'm really pleased with how the boys really stumped up we, we gave some time off in patches but we've had some good sessions it's hard to maintain a rhythm and momentum when you haven't got game on game on game but we had you know a friendly against leinster their second team we had a academy game against Bath, which gave a little bit of flow to the weeks. But personally, I, I just just focus on getting good good preparation throughout the week and then keep our mind on the job because it's hard not to talk about Saracens when it's four weeks away and we haven't got a game. But, you know, we just planted a few seeds about what it takes to get there. So on the weekends, for me, I just enjoyed watching rugby, a couple of beers in the hand and uh, enjoyed it. Les, if you've spent four weeks sort of knowing that Saracens are on the horizon, how do you look at, at the playoff picture? Your London Irish haven't been there since since 2010. You've got a game in hand on, on Northampton. How do you see that that unfolding? Do you guys have you got something up in the you know at the training ground targeting a, a semi final place? Do you talk about that, or is it something that that has to just stay on the back burner and becomes a result of of winning those two games, like you said? I, I would say that to a man, the ambition is to be the highest we can. And the highest we can would be making the finals for sure and then and taking a step from there. But each year we've tried to progress up the table and we're doing that nicely. If I was to be truthful, some part of the psyche is always saying we want to get there. That's, that's you know, it wants to be thinking front and centre. But the boys have been magnificent. The leadership group has been magnificent. We know that's basically a myth at this stage. It doesn't exist. Mm. And... All we can deal with is realities, and the realities are the, the game in front of us. If we take it back from the game, it's the training session in front of us and keeping focus in that way. Now, it's a bit of coach talk. It's a bit of a cliche, really, when teams talk about that that fight to the finals. But I think you'd find every team that has made the finals has always had a, a good balance of being able to stay focused on the now. And that's been important for us here. You know, it's exciting for the club to see, to be even if with a chance. No doubt. There'll be a lot of noise and a lot of a lot of people getting excited, but uh, you know, my job, mine and Decky's job is to keep this team focused on the here and now and get the right things done now because we're a chance. We're a chance. We're in the hunt. That's all we know. Uh, I was at Leicester on Sunday and talked to Ben Youngs after the game about some of the characters there who've been really important to them in their run of six consecutive wins to, to sort of virtually secure them a playoff place. I, I wonder whether I could put the same question to you albeit you, you know you manage a, a wider squad but have there been key characters who have either emerged 
for you this season? I'm thinking, a, you know, a, a Tom Pearson, for example, or or an old a, an old timer, a, a veteran whose whose experience and influence has been critical in in helping guide Irish to to the brink of of a return to the semi-finals. Oh, without a doubt, you know, I, I can pull two or three names out straight away in, the, in my head where this lands. Without a doubt, uh, Rob Simmons has been just a rock for us. Uh, Rob's just taken that on and led us brilliantly. So that old head, uh, you know, you don't get 100 tests without having some form of experience and understanding how to do that job. Uh, in the backs, I think critical for us is, is being able to have the variations that we can use in our 10, 12, 13. We can go quite easily to a, to a, a 10 with a Ben Hart at 12, and he's got a great, you know, lays beautiful lines for us and gives us good game line, or we can play Paddy and, and Geno together and give us a 10-12 axis, like a second 5-8. So being able to manipulate that middle field a little bit better has been crucial. So the characters are involved in that have been, have been uh, you know, Paddy working with those. And um, and if I was to add the other character that I think really stood up and given us that flexibility to be able to play the way we want, that type of personality that reflects the style of our game would be Ben Logan. I think he's been on fire in the last month. Uh, well, the last four games, five games, he's had to step into the breach to cover fullback for us, and he's been an exceptional uh, leader. Have you got a sense, Les, of what this is, what this run is doing around the place as well? I mean, it's not been that long since you've been back up in the Prem and the move to Brentford and everything else. Does there feel like a, a good feeling around the place? that you're high up in the league and you've got the chance to achieve some good things here? I always believe the uh, the locker room that is, is the heart of the club, uh, the locker room, the health of the locker room. To answer your question, there, there is a great sense of, of belief and a great sense of, um, of confidence about what we're doing. It, it, that, again, doesn't guarantee anything. It's got to be effort. You need a bit of luck. Uh, we've got to be very precise and accurate with our game planning and, and how we manage the game. But the health of that room is is probably the, the, the strength of this group at the moment. Les, the locker room spirit that you, you talked about just then, have you had to protect that in some way this season with the uncertainty that swirls around the, the sort of financial position of the club and, and the fact that there are talks about a potential takeover and no one quite knows what the direction is? So have you had to sort of isolate the squad away from from that the, the business side of, of the club or... Do, do, you, do they need to understand what what's going on around uh, you know, in the boardroom level to because they're you know they're, they're representing the club? They're, they're, how have you managed to to sort of handle that while also keeping that that locker room spirit as intact as you have? Uh, there's no doubt that the boys know the direction they're taking. I mean, it's it's there, but they know what we're trying to achieve. On every session, every meeting, uh, we have our key principles that we work to. When you when they're more, when they're powerful enough to be able to hold a mindset, the leadership group, who are the filter between the business side into the rugby side into that locker room, have the qualities that we have there. You know you've got something, a pretty good firewall there in terms of that. Sure, it's out there. That's not our domain. Our domain is to drive hard on the key principles, the things that make us work and go there. The chat around it is is not for us. The, the club have made their statement and we will just go out there and do our business. And that is something I'm really, really proud of with the boys. You know, Declan and I probably closer to that end of it, uh, as you say, but we know there's only one thing that matters in our leadership group and the locker room. Uh, they don't want to miss this opportunity. They want, they want to be in front of it and 
if we did, we can't do it, it won't be because of those distractions. It'll be because we actually committed to our plan and someone was good enough to beat us in the day. Have you guys had meetings about what's happening next and are you aware of the next steps or are you just being kept completely in the dark on that stuff? We're not being kept in the dark. We're just doing our business. Mm. I, you know, I think the most important thing is the people, the right people are doing what they're doing. We're doing the right people are doing what we're doing. And that's how the club's uh, operating and we're going well. And uh, all I can say is that there is no in the dark. We know exactly how we play our game. We know exactly what will make us tick. We know exactly how we're planning to take on Saracens. And that is our focus. Uh, it might sound boring, but that is exactly how it should be. And that's how it will be for here. Can I ask a, a more general question? Like you've, you've been at Irish uh, since 2018 and you've, you've been there now with the move back to London and all that. What can you see about the potential of the club from not just the rugby side of it, but the whole picture? Because from the outside, it always looks such a great club in terms of it's got an amazing marketing potential with the whole Irish links. It's got a fantastic academy and always has done. It's got great facilities. Moved in with Brentford in a cool ground back in the heartland in West London. Just seems that if you get the right backing there and the right owners there and the right squad and coaches and everything, it's got the real potential to fly. So what do you see from your side of it now, having been there for a number of years? Well, the, yeah, it's interesting. The business of rugby, is, it's become massive over the last 15 years, how it's expanded and, and the components of the club that make it grow and, and flourish. The one thing I do know is that it, it, it takes good people. And, and, I'm, and, I, and it's not just a throwaway statement. I mean, good people who, who will just do what it takes to make that part of their business work. You know, most clubs now are running on uh, different types of budgets. Every club's running a debt level. You know, all those things exist. Some things don't cost money. Some things just cost heart, passion, and people who want to just keep turning up and and making it special. And we're, we're only at the beginning of this. You know, we're only starting to understand where we can go with this. We've been in the in the in London now for a few years, and we can understand the potential there, and that will come out. But if someone gives you twenty million, that's not going to solve the problem. You need good people, whether you've got money or not, who are willing to do it. And I think that's our a real strength for this club, right throughout. Good luck for the rest of the, the campaign. And you've got those two games left, Saracens and then Exeter on the last day, which could be a bit of a tasty one. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? You're playing after Northampton, so you're going to know exactly what you need to do. So all the best of it. Are you yeah. confident you think yeah. you're going to get there? Yeah, yeah. well, I'd be stupid if I wasn't confident. I do. <laughs> I, I feel confident. I, I'm a realist because... Uh, I'm an optimistic realist, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, I believe everything's anything's possible. Now, luck plays a part. Now, you can't control what happens on outside of your domain. But if we win two games, we're there. That's mm. all there is to it. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. So, we have to go there and 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 play the way that we know we can play against an exceptionally brilliant side, uh, a team that I have so much respect for. That's you know what Mark's done there is unbelievable over the last decade. So. It, it, what better way to do it? And that's that's important to us. You know, I mean, we don't want teams to do us favours, like you know, Newcastle beating, beating Saints. You know, we're not after favours. We're after uh, doing the things that we should do to, to make sure we earn our way there. Yeah, and it would be a remarkable story if Irish were to make it. So all the best for it, and thanks so much for coming on the ruck, Les. Really appreciate Thank that. you, thanks. Les. Thanks, guys. Good to talk. 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Great to hear from Les Kiss there at London Irish. And next on The Ruck, we're steaming ahead and talking Women's Six Nations. And Jess Hayden is joining us for her weekly review of the Women's Six Nations. Jess, how are you? You went down to Cardiff, didn't you, on the weekend? I did, yeah. It was it was so lovely to go and just enjoy the match as a fan. It was something that you know, Will, we don't often get to do. But it's so no. important, I think, to just be there as part of the atmosphere. And, and yeah, it was lovely. So tell me about the atmosphere. That It was... A proper old occasion, was it, at Cardiff Farms Park? How many did they get in the ground? Was it a decent atmosphere down there? Yeah, it was a sellout crowd, 8,800 and something fans there in the end. And it's the most atmosphere that I've ever witnessed at a Wales game, for sure. Uh, Wales women, that is. It was brilliant. Every time Wales had the ball, the cheers from the crowd were wonderful. And it didn't even end when Wales were obviously being pumped in the second half. It, hmm. The crowd was still so behind them. And at the end of the match, the, there were just queues of fans. 45 minutes after the final whistle, Wales were still, and England, to be fair, were still out there taking selfies and getting signatures from from young fans. Um, and I would say, I think I put it on Twitter, I went to university with three of the Wales players okay. and played rugby with them. So I was there, you know, as a as a friend of theirs as, as much as a fan. And at the end of the match, I was trying to catch up with Courtney Key. And we actually had to stop talking to her because she had a queue of fans ready to take mm-hmm. photos with her. And that's something I've never had to experience before. Um, but it was so lovely and just a really wonderful day for, for women's rugby, even though obviously the scoreline doesn't reflect that. Yeah, yeah. So on that scoreline, I mean, listening to your um, section last week and like we all have to make predictions and stuff for that and end up looking silly sometimes, don't we? But I think you said last week that you, you could see a, a scenario where Wales are leading at some point, which obviously may, didn't actually happen in the end. But w- was that a disappointing performance from Wales after they'd won the first two or was it just that England showed their usual kind of power and the fact that they're so much better than everyone else? Yeah, so I really wanted Wales to win in other areas of the game because I think it would be mad to suggest that Wales were going to win this match. I think everyone knew that England were going to win. Yeah. Um, but I wanted them to win. And I was I was impressed, you know, for 26, 27 minutes or something, Wales kind of held England back. But to me, England were just 
by far the stronger team and I think we're just trying to tire Wales out in that opening half not really committing players to rucks and just kind of letting Wales tire themselves out and then really came so strong in the second half um England are just the stronger side mm. I really did expect better from Wales I have to say I think there were some really key defensive er- errors especially on the wings just letting England run through them at times um, so I, I did expect better there and I hope for better. But um, yeah, it was not very competitive. But, but as, I, as I said, that first kind of opening 26 minutes, that was fantastic to watch. Yeah. Talking of fantastic to watch, I've seen clips of the Sarah Byrne break and offload. Talk us through, Jess. That looked ridiculous. <laughs> it was... Oh, I it goes beyond words, I think, because that was just Sarah Byrne being Sarah Byrne. And I think every single week that I've come on the rug, so about the Six Nations, Sarah Byrne's name has come hmm. up and people probably think I'm on commission from her, but <laughs> she's just fantastic. The She was running at speed. She had two defenders kind of hanging off her legs and she managed to put this perfect offload into Jess Breach, who then sprinted forward to score the try. It was just lovely was it I, th- I actually think the best try of the game was Abby Dow's try okay which was set up by Holly Aitchison um in splendid fashion kind of this perfectly weighted pass across the field that Abby Dow picked up and then managed to break through countless defenders to, to score that was really lovely and that was the one that had everyone in the stadium on their feet um, but yeah, that Sarah Byrne offload also just a thing of beauty, and and again one of those things that um, mean is the reason why she's been banned from the front row club because mm-hmm. she's just constantly doing things and raising the standards for for props. Yeah, absolutely. And fifty points that England scored again, and France did too. And I don't know, it just always feels slightly unsatisfactory each year, doesn't it? That we just have to kind mm. of keep waiting for England to play France at the end. And this year, Sugar Babe's going to be there and all that as well at Twickenham. But is it still, I don't know, did, did we expect there to be stronger challenges elsewhere this year? Or is it another case of, well, England and France are just clearly the best team, so it always just has to end with them, really? England and France are clearly the best teams. There's no arguing that. And the Six Nations will not be truly competitive until there is better competition below them. That's absolutely fair enough. And that final match at Twickenham, as you say, Super Saturday, Sugar Babes will be there. It'll be a brilliant occasion um, for the for the sport. But we don't want it to just all come down to one game, do we? It'd be great if the, the games below were a bit more competitive. And this year, I thought that could change because there's the third place in the Six Nations is crucial because it determines if you're going to be in one rank of WXV, the new international structure that's launching this autumn, or um, Tier 2. So that kind of third place finish is really important. Yet Wales were kind of st- st- have been storming ahead in the first two rounds. Italy have been impressive at times, but... I have to say, I've just been so disappointed by Ireland and Scotland, mm. especially. Ireland, we've spoken about before on the ruck, that it's just kind of all falling apart there in the union. And they just really don't seem to have their targets aligned with, with the strategy. It's just really not great there. Scotland, I just think it, it, it goes down to just basic skills and fitness. I've just been disappointed with their performances in this championship so far. So... I think we've almost taken a step backwards from last year in terms of 
the competitive nature of the game. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It all comes down to that England-France game at Twickenham. Yeah, well, between that is England-Ireland, uh, or Ireland-England, it's at Musgrave Park, isn't it? Um, and Steve Jones wrote in his match report from the Wales game that he thought that that was almost a question of safety, that ga- that match. Can you just explain to listeners who might not be as au fait as you are with the women's game why that is and why the Irish are so weak at the moment? Yeah, so Ireland, the the context is Ireland hosted the World Cup in 2017 and then failed to qualify for the 2021 World Cup that was played in 2022. And that was kind of a good sign of where Ireland were in terms of supporting women's rugby. A lot of their support is for show in my opinion and doesn't go much deeper so they've been offering players contracts that were for fifteen thousand euros um but they would have to they'd be central contracts and the players would have to move to dublin where a fifteen thousand euro a year salary won't get you very far at all and that would also take players away from their premier 15s clubs so it's it's a really bad model that they're they're having they've also Ireland's 15s team without some of their sevens players because the union decided to kind of follow the money and and focus on the sevens game for this you know which means that the 15s team doesn't have some of their best players in the Six Nations squad and then on top of that there was a damning report in the Telegraph last week about the attitudes towards women's rugby and including, you know, a senior Ireland rugby official saying who gives an F about women's rugby. Mm. There's been systemic sexism in Irish rugby for a long time. It's it's come out, I think we're probably on the second or third Six Nations where almost every time you talk about Ireland, you're talking about sexism and you're not talking about the rugby that they're playing. And that's so disappointing if you consider where Wales are now obviously they've had their own sexism Mm. crisis and um, that's been dealt with and that's being dealt with and to varying levels of success but the support that the team is getting is impressive they've got Vodafone as a title sponsor they're getting a lot of support there now Ireland are so far behind it's going to take years maybe two years until they're even at the level I think of where Wales are Mm. and players who've blown the whistle like Cleona Maloney who's an Exeter Chiefs player is on great form she's not getting into the side and Susie Appleby who's the Exeter Chiefs head coach has actually taken to Twitter to say I keep trying to contact Ireland Rugby about this and they're not contacting me they're not getting back to me that's the level of disrespect and just ignorance that's kind of happening at Irish rugby at the minute yeah well as ever in rugby off the field and on the field don't seem to be marrying up much do they um before we let you go Jess we better get you to rattle through your predictions is it an easy one this week England or Scotland Italy what do you think to that one and then France you imagine probably went beat Wales wouldn't they It's an interesting round for sure. And what Steve was saying about Ireland versus England is true in in many ways that this could be a safety issue. And I think what Steve was saying was that there's no England side that you could put together that wouldn't be completely dominant against Ireland. And that's true. I don't think that Ireland will throw the game. I don't think they should throw the game. They, They showed so much fight against Italy at one point when they were 7-0 down in the first half they were offered a penalty in front of the post but they decided to go for the try it didn't nothing came of it but this team has so much fight um they were quite smart in the first half as well against Italy so I think that 
they're not going to just kind of roll over and, and let England score 80 tries but it is going to be an England win it's going to be a huge win um we'll be having the same conversation next week about huge score lines in the mm. women's six nations I've got no doubt of that then Scotland Italy that'll be quite competitive I see that as an Italy win okay they just have some players that have been fantastic so far a player to watch out for is Rigoni the Italy inside centre she's marvellous and just a huge character which you can see on the pitch and just uh really just will try anything and is so entertaining to watch. So if you're watching that one, I'd keep an eye out for her. And then France, Wales, France will surely win that one. I was very impressed in the France-Scotland performance with Emily Boulard, who scored a hat-trick in 19 minutes, and Pauline Bourdon, who's the um, scrum half, who is just like Sonic the Hedgehog. She can just sprint through players. And what will be very interesting in that game is looking at how uh, France defend Wales because Wales can be scrappy. They do love a turnover ball. They can kind of make something up, nothing quite quickly. And, and England will be the first people to kind of put their hands up and say that they struggled at times against Wales with that. Um, so I'll be interested to see how France defend that because I think that'll be quite interesting going into the final round with England versus France. But yeah, for me, it's a France win, hands down. There you go. Right, well, a full roundup there from Jess and she'll be back next week. Thanks so much, Jess. And we'll be looking forward then to the big one, Sugar Babes. No, England, France. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Jess, and speak to you next week. Cheers, Will. Awesome. Right, next on The Ruck, we're going to go to our god or goddess of the week. Right, god or goddess of the week time. We've probably covered off potential devils, but we won't go there with <laughs> refereeing decisions because it's a bit boring, isn't it? But um, God's, uh, yours will end on yours. I'll do mine first. And there were just some good performances across the league from three people who we didn't see too much of in the Six Nations. Tom Curry on Friday night with his twin Ben, as we mentioned, was epic and looks big and angry and always comes back looking bigger and better. So he's going to add loads. And he's still only 24. Like Alexander's had mentioned yeah. that afterwards, and I was like, oh, wow, that's mad, isn't it? They're still only 24. That is crazy. And, and you know, he got picked on that Argentina tour, then impressed in South Africa, and that's where I thought, going back to our conversation about size, Yeah, he came back from that and having really good in South Africa, but realised that he needed to He was to in the right bigger. positions, but just not Yeah, so I wonder enough. whether the, his experiences have kind of informed his yeah. programme as much as anything else. But. So that was him. Then on Saturday, well, actually also in that game, George Ford was, I just thought, was he piloted the team around so well and in a very kind of test match style where they went 3, 6, 9, 12, yeah. and the 12 was a drop goal, uh, which was just really clever. And afterwards, he was just a bit like, yeah, it's just like kicking a penalty, isn't it? I was right in front of the post, and so why not? And you just think, well, no one else does that. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> um, and showed some nice touches and just looked really good and he's taken a while to get back into it and they actually haven't won a lot when he's been playing but I think him in the final end of the season is going to be really key and then the other one was Courtney Laws which was great to see him back because he's had an absolute joke amount of problems this season yeah. from concussion to neck injury to a glute thing a calf thing the latest one was pulling something in his back and shoulder doing a chin up his in his muscle yeah, yeah his lats so down the side I don't know if I've got one of those do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do yeah <laughs> They're massive. You're I lapsed. always tear it doing chin-ups as yeah, well. Yeah, in your home gym, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, I don't know. If I pick a god out of those three, I might pick George Ford, actually, for mine. Because I just thought, for the first time in a long time, I, I've watched him live. I think that was actually the first time I've seen Sale live this season, which is a weird thing. But I just thought he was really impressive in, in a quite quiet way, but just 
pushed mm. around the field brilliantly and definitely is going to come into the World Cup conversation with those other two. So yeah. there's mine. What it's about been, yours? It's been that kind of season, though. You say it's the yeah. first time you've seen Sale. Just so disrupted. Bitty, and like yeah. As Les was saying, Les Gis was saying, they hadn't had a game for a month. And we had that earlier in the season where teams just don't play for weeks on end. Mm. Well, that was all, I suppose, because of Waston Worcester and the Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. It's, just, and... it's been one of those odd seasons where you can... It's been hard to get a flow going. Um, anyway, my, my God of the Week is is obvious is Chris Ashton although we should give a hat tip to Ben Youngs who played his 300th game for Leicester Tigers Um, rather went under the radar that that achievement one club man fantastic achievement for him but but Ashton 101 tries has played as I said earlier on in the pod just has always played with this with this kind of devilish glint in his eye cheekiness uh, and brought just brought a joy to to the game and, and has has done and Austin Healy talked really nicely on BT when I watched the game back about you know and he 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 used to be taught when he was playing on the wing to to track the the inside shoulders of the mm. ten or the twelve or the thirteen. It's just that Chris Ashton has done it so well and in a way that um, that really no other wing's done. And he talked afterwards about he grew up watching Martin Afire scoring tries for mm. for Wigan um, and sort of I guess dreamt of. Of emulating him, and I think you can say that he's he's carved out his own stellar reputation with um, with just some, some brilliant finishes and some great entertainment. Um, and yeah, congratulations to him. So he's my goal of the week. Perfect. I was also looking because I'm going to do a big deep dive mall statty thing for the time subscribers on him. Uh, who possibly could catch him? And, and he's no chance really. No. Anyone's going to get near him because no. Danny Care's the closest active player on 83, but he might have one or, so, one or so years left and he's not going to get 20-something tries. He'll try. He'll try, yeah, he'll try. <laughs> he might get to 90, which would be a hell of a yeah, good effort. But yeah, no, that's the thing. There's no one... And then the other next closest, uh, I mean, if Christian Wade comes back, if he ever takes mm. a... I mean, he's only 31 still. He's on 82, which is remarkable, having not played yeah. in England for about four or five years oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the next one is Johnny May, 73 tries, and he's 33. So he, he's not going to get 30 in a few years, is he? No. So no. Chris Ashton, King Christopher the first, crowned and never going to be beaten, I imagine. Yeah. So good. Those are our gods of the week. And that was our latest pod. Next week, we will be back to talk about another round of Prem and tee up the Champions Cup semi finals. <laughs>